Hi, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... The project I was pushing was... um, my Chinese gunslinger feature mm-hmm. film that, mm-hmm. that I was desperate to do, and you know that that script actually won awards, and um, but uh, could not get financing for it. But around that time, I my agent at the time said, uh, "Hey, would you like to talk to Marvel about writing comics?" And I was like, "Heck yeah!" yeah. And, you know, <laughs> so I went into that meeting and and uh, we hit it off, and it worked out, and I've been writing comics ever since. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast and Twitter at the GBB Podcast as well. And newly, as of uh, last week or this week, <laughs> the GBB Podcast.com. <laughs> I was watching, that reminded me, I was watching, have you ever seen the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Have you heard of it? I've heard of it's it. Like I've a, never watched it. Okay, so it's a comedy. Uh, Andy Samberg's in it. I'm watching it. It's on our Netflix right now, so I'm watching it. Okay. Um one of the jokes, the, the captain goes, have you ever been to the website? www.http colon slash slash www.nypd.edu slash one, two, five, seven, eight. And then he goes like through a big, long URL. It was anyway. That's I hilarious. Was, I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, like, that's oh, you don't remember. We were just talking about this off air. Like you're you're not much younger, but enough younger that yeah. a lot of my childhood and younger experiences exactly. you didn't have. But that was yeah. one of the things, you know, it was like when it came out, it was it was the World Wide Web. Everybody talked right. about that, you know, it was the yeah. World Wide Web. And, um, you know, you had to say you had to, I mean, it's a joke. You had to say HTTP sometimes because um, there were still other ways to connect. Like people had TCP and um oh wow telnet i remember all these i remember you remember those you know those dummies books like whatever for dummies yeah yeah i remember when i was probably middle school i got a book called telnet for dummies and telnet if you don't know i mean i don't even really know what telnet was but it was like Mm -hmm. a precursor to the internet and it was like you had to it was all text and you had to like dial in and everything was like um like a programming language almost like to be able to connect but there were like user groups and you could like little chat rooms and and like primitive quote-unquote websites where you could go and find information and and even i think download files and i mean it was all just text and data um but i remember sitting there and like looking at this book and just being fascinated that there was this whole world that i could connect to over telnet you know like who knew what was coming down the line exactly and my first experience with the internet i was in grade five and we had didn't have a computer nothing until i was in grade five so i was around 10 years old and we got to use it my friend invited me over because he just got dial up internet and that was like the cool thing we went over to his house to look up websites on his computer yeah and i remember looking up the montreal canadians website and 
like I, I was like floored that I could look at pictures of them coming in through the screen from somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And the pictures would slow, obviously dial up. It would be so yeah, slow. It was like I, one pixelated line at yeah. a time. <laughs> well, I remember sitting there thinking like, what is the big deal about this? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here for 10 minutes to see a picture of a guy on my favorite team. Who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But <laughs> it's by a magazine. I don't care about that. <laughs> Oh, I was, oh man, I was just going to say something and now I forget what it was, but yeah, it's like, it was a crazy time because it was like, we, so did you have, um, was America, you're Canadian, so I don't know, like, but we had, you know, AOL, America Online. We we didn't have AOL, but we heard about, like, I knew what it was. So when the internet first became a thing, like that was how so many people connected and it was like, you know, the whole, like, you've got mail. That was like a thing, you know, like I remember... So you dial up and you hear the whole screechy, terrible modem sound. And then you log into AOL and like, there was like the door opening. And you hear yeah. that guy, you've got mail. And that was like the best sound ever because I was like, oh, I've got mail. Somebody you, emailed me. Yeah, you got yeah. to see what it was. And uh, but that like everything was through this America online portal. And I re- like so it's funny to me when you still hear like sometimes on the radio, you'll hear like you know, go to our website and enter keyword game or whatever. And it was like, right. who still says keyword? That is such an America <laughs> online, like 1998 thing to say. That was how you looked up websites. I'm guessing. Cause I remember my mom used to watch Oprah and they would say, go to AOL and look up and keyword Oprah. Oprah. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just, it was just a search bar. You know, it was just right. like, it was just a, like you could search by, like you could browse by category for the things that Hilarious. you like. Or if you had a keyword, you just went to a search bar and typed in like Oprah and it took you to the Oprah page on America online. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that leaves me to wondering about, and this, this does have to do with uh, our guest today. It leaves me to wonder about, you know, growing up, how different it is now versus even when Greg Pak was a kid, um, to when I was a kid, I didn't feel like I could be a comic writer when I grew up if I wanted to be. And I don't know if Greg Pak felt that way as well, but like with the internet, I feel like now there's more of an opportunity for people to like kids, teenagers to see that and be like, yeah, I could do that. You know what I mean? Cause we're more connected and you can see, get more information about the career back then. It was just like a mythical thing to be a comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be in the comic industry. That was mythical to me. That was like, Oh, Guys in California get to do that, not well, me. Do you know I, what I mean? I'm impressed that as a kid, you realized that there were actually people writing and drawing those books. And they didn't just sort of yes. drop out of the sky. Yes. Well, I mean, as a t- I'm, I'm more t- – when I say a kid, I mean like 12, 15. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, talking about today's guest, I mean, I think Greg would probably agree because, you know, looking at what he's done, like, yes, he's done a lot of, you know, mainstream superhero, uh, big, big company type books. But right. he's also – leveraged the internet in order to do things that he has really wanted to do. So he did a couple books together with Jonathan Colton or, you know, Mm -hmm. based on Jonathan Colton lyrics, uh, code monkey save world and the princess who saved herself. And, uh, those were both kickstarted, you know, and if, if, you know, without the internet, without that ability to just connect directly to your audience or consumers, Kickstarter wouldn't be a thing. And, you know, creators wouldn't be able to just go to Kickstarter and do that. Um, we didn't we didn't get too much into this in our conversation, but Greg's also a filmmaker. You know, he makes right. he makes short movies and short films. And a lot of that, you know, they play at film festivals and stuff. But I have to imagine that most of the audience for his films are on YouTube or, or the other mm-hmm. film, you know, the other video streaming sites. And again, right. without the Internet, that 
wouldn't be possible for anybody. Well, and you look at YouTube, like there's a lot, a lot of people don't realize this, but the, your favorite creator, if you have a favorite creator that, you know, has a million, you know, 5 million subscribers, let's say they're mostly millionaires from making videos and putting them on the internet. A lot of people don't realize that, but they are, they make a lot of money doing what they do. Yeah. I don't and understand it's how. That it's, it's not that it's about money, but I'm just saying like, that is just something that they're, they're at home filming. And putting it up, there's no middleman. There's no. That's what Casey Nice said. He's a big YouTuber. Talks about. There's no publishing company to okay things. He just has the idea. He films it. He puts it out there. <laughs> that's all but there is to it. That being said, <laughs> you still have to have skill. You know, yes, like, I watch. I'm not big in like you are. I'm not big into watching right. all these YouTubers. Like I, I know the names of some of them. Most of them, I have no idea who they are. You turned me on to Casey because you're a big fan of him. So I, yes. I don't watch him regularly, but I subscribe right. and I watch a few, some of his videos. That guy is really talented in terms he of is. video yes. editing. Like he's a yeah. filmmaker. You know, there's a reason he CNN is. hired him and bought his company. Yeah. So he's a filmmaker. So you watch his 10 minute vlog or a 10 minute video and it's very cinematic. You know, he has he has film quality edits and cuts and 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 music, you know, supporting music and film, you know, like edits cut to the music, you know, like, yes, it's remarkably well done. <laughs> yeah. The thing what I don't understand is like how some of these like you know, seven-year-old toy unboxers with terrible video quality, terrible, know. you know, the mom holding the camera shaky, like how those people have 5 million followers and make so much money. Like, I don't I understand that. It's, it's incredible. It's just, <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. Just sitting in it. Like there's some people that just literally sit it there. There's one guy I've seen, he just sits at his computer and he talks about popular yeah. subjects. Yeah. And, and, and that's what a lot YouTubers. of them are. And I think when yeah. people think about YouTubers, that's what they think about. They think about those people who just sit in front of their computer and either talk about makeup or talk about right. toys or talk about, um, you know, last night's TV episode of whatever show mm. that they're like, they like, you know, and they don't right. they don't think about the people who actually are very talented, you know, right. and a lot of the ones that you turn me on to are um you know, the, 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 the more travel ones, you know, so yes. Casey, Casey um, ben Brown. and um, Ben Brown. And there's a new guy named Peter McKinnon. He's a Canadian guy. He's awesome, too. He's, okay. he's like Casey. He's Canadian Casey Neistat is what I call him. And the, who, who are the <laughs> other two guys that I like? There's uh, Fun for Louie. Maybe? Fun for Louie. And yeah. um, shoot, I'm blanking on it. But those Fun for Louie is good because it's sort of like he he's sort of. I don't know. This is turning into a YouTube opener, but like he, like it's. I just, I, I like the travel ones. I like you know where the, these guys are traveling around the world and they take you to places that many yeah. people probably would never see. Yeah, and Sarah, and this is completely the last time we're talking about YouTube. But Sarah watches a, uh, guys that travel around like Southeast Asia and they sample street food. And okay, that's what they and they they're YouTubers. They make money doing it. Yeah, like that's amazing that they can fund that lifestyle and do man, it. If, anyway, if YouTube had existed when I lived over there, man, I, I, yeah, I could have been rolling in it you'd be a youtuber right i now. really would i would have been <laughs> now you get to make thomas the train videos oh my god if i oh jesus if i could have made money just walking down to the street and getting street food which i do did every day yes. anyway yeah why exactly. wouldn't i exactly why wouldn't you of exactly. course so uh, you interview greg <laughs> you interview greg pack what a segue yes. <laughs> sorry greg if you're listening we, we we got a little excited. Um, <laughs> and why don't you tell us about that interview? Uh, yeah. So I talked to Greg. Um, I, 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 met, I already mentioned. So Greg uh, 
made a bit of a splash a couple of years ago with those two Kickstarter books um, between he and, and Colton. Um, those books sold out. I, I, I don't know how much money they made. I could have looked this up. It, it, it's beside the point, you know, how much they made on Kickstarter. They were very, very successful. Um, Code Monkey Save World and The Princess Who Saved Herself. Uh, but they're, uh, they're, they're great books. He, Greg himself has written all over the place. I mean, he's written for Marvel. He's written for, for DC. He's written for, um, he's writing now, boom, he's writing a uh, mech cadet you, which is a great story. It's only in its fifth issue. The fifth issue just came out. Um, I really recommend it. It's an all ages. If you like that term, I mean, it is, it's all ages. Everybody like it's, it's for everybody, but it's, it's sort of a cross between, um, like the Iron Giant and and you know the big, what's the Japanese term for the big robot? Kaiju is when it's the big monsters. Um, I don't know if there's another term for the huge robots. I don't know the big robot one, but it's a thing. You know, like that's a that's like a subgenre. These giant robots. Right. You know, it's like right. um, um, Pacific Rim. You know, those kind of things. Yes, I know what you mean. So yeah. the the conceit of the story is that these robots come to Earth. It's set in the future and like these robots come to Earth every few years and they bond with uh, a young pilot who, you know, goes inside and, and pilots them, kind of like Pacific Rim and all those other movies that you know about. Um, and so it follows these kids who are at this school to prepare them for the arrival of the robots. And it's like the elite of the elite, the best of the best. Um, but the kid who gets chosen at, in the very beginning is, is like the janitor's son. Like his mom is the woman who cleans the floors at the school. And it's sort of like a, through a series of mishaps and, and he's just in the right place at the right time. He's not even a student there. Um, he becomes the pilot of one of the robots. He becomes bonded with them. So it's sort of like his experience and his, mm-hmm. his adventures from there. And uh, the fifth, like I said, the fifth issue just came out. It's just starting a new arc. Um Really, definitely go pick it up. The first four issues were just uh, collected as a as a graph as a trade, um, and then you know every month the issues will come out. And it's from Boom, um, really good. I, I it kind of came out of nowhere for me. I was like, oh, another book about giant robots, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so much fun. It really is. Like it's it's one of those books you just keep turning the page, and it's a, it's he's got a really cool perspective. Um, and it involves a lot of issues, um, that are always relevant. So it all, it it involves a lot of issues of like class and, and rising above your station and racism and things like that. So, uh, um, definitely go pick it up if I haven't said that enough. Um, (laughs) but we have a, we have a good conversation. So we talk about that. We talk about, um, you know, his career, we talk about, uh, representation of, of Asians and, and different, um, people of different backgrounds in books and, right. and how we can go about that and how he, why it's so important for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, we end up talking about, he's doing this thing on Twitter. Uh, he started a hashtag that he's really pushing and it's really cool. It's um, I'll, I'll link to the uh, hashtag in the, in the post. It's, it's an Asian American creator roll call. Um, okay. But the, the hashtag is shorter. It's A S A M creator roll call. And it's his attempt to sort of turn the spotlight onto Asian American creators who might not be getting the the exposure in the spotlight that they that they should be getting. Uh, And it's been it's been really cool to follow. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely go check that out. And we are going to play the interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Likewise. No, I'm thrilled. Thank you. 
Uh, something I learned about you when I was doing a little bit of research for this, is, and I'm not sure a lot of people know, is that you were a Rhodes Scholar. Yeah, I, uh, I was. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I've gone through a few different uh, phases in my uh, in my career, I guess. I um, I studied well when I was a kid. I wanted to be a writer. I knew, you know, Ray Bradbury was my hero. I knew, I, and I wrote short stories from the time I was about nine years old. Uh, I was a drawing too. I was drawing cartoons and everything. Um, that's what I was going to do. Uh, but when I was in college, I um, I studied political science. I mean, I was doing creative writing and stuff mm-hmm. at the same time. But I studied political science, and I thought that that was what I was going to do. So I went back home to Texas, and I worked for Ann Richards when she was running for governor back in the day. Um, and then I got a scholarship, uh, a Rhodes scholarship, to go to England to Oxford University to study history ostensibly to become a better politician because I hadn't really I felt like I hadn't studied enough history over the years yeah. uh, uh, but when I uh, when I got out there I had the chance for the first time to get involved with a student filmmaking group and all the lights went on that was always something I'd wanted to do but never had the chance to do and it was like I actually need to be telling telling stories that's doing really something where, else <laughs> no, that's that's where I that's where I belong so I, I love how you say that just so matter of factly though you're just like oh I, I just got a Rhodes scholarship like it's something that everybody does <laughs> well, I actually have <laughs> I applied for it twice. I applied for it uh, uh, right when I was graduating from college and did not get it. Um, and uh, but you know I had a, a, a good experience of the interviews with some very you know yeah. positive responses. And somebody asked me, well, if you don't get it, what do you what will you do? And I said, well, I'll go and work for Aaron, you know like uh, work for you know uh, Ann Richards. I think mm-hmm. I, I think I already had that. I can't remember if I had that planned at that point. I, I guess I must not have because if I hadn't, if I'd gotten the Rhodes Scholar the first time scholarship round, I would have, uh, yeah. I, would, I would have not worked for Ann Richards. So, but anyway, I said, uh, you know, I'll go do my thing, and then, uh, and then maybe I'll uh, come back and reapply. And the person said, well, you should, and so I did, and it worked out. Perfect. How I mean, was was politics something that developed as an interest in in college when you just started taking classes, or was it always something that you were interested in? I think it was always something I was interested in, uh, but I, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I had the chance to, you know, dig into it deeply in yeah. college, and uh, I, I, uh, I mean, you know, I, a lot of the things that inspired me to tell stories and the things that inspired me to get involved in politics were similar, you know, in that they were about. Um, and this is a very idealistic view of politics, uh, <laughs> but they were about you know building a community and 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 uh, and and helping folks understand each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like that. You know, like to me, you know, like I the idealistic version of politics in America. It's you know it's this amazing um, uh, endeavor to. Uh, create a way for people of all different backgrounds to uh, to live together. You know what I mean, or to you know to to share. You know to 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 make this this uh, diverse country work because that's you know and you know that's the ideal. Uh, yeah. um, and uh, and and that's a similar motivation. I mean, that's not my only motivation, but that's a similar motivation in writing. You know what I mean? Like writing for me has always been about uh, understanding. Um, Getting inside people's heads and 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 empathizing with people you might not necessarily know, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, so uh, so those were you know it it, it doesn't it's it's not as um, strange in my head to move from one to the other. Sure, I mean when you explain it, it, it it makes a certain amount of sense, but that's not a subtle change in direction. I mean, you had already proven yourself in academics and politics enough to, to prove yourself to get a to, to get a Rhodes scholarship. So to say like, oh you know what, I actually want to be telling stories, whether that's filmmaking or writing or, or whatever, that's quite a risk to take. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, it's it, it. I guess it seems that way. At the same time, during all the time that I was, uh, you know, studying political science and doing all of that, I, I, uh, in college, I was also, and and you know, throughout high school too, I was. Um, you know, I was writing. I was I was a writer. You know, I mean, that was my my habit. You know, I, I was constantly writing writing stories. And then I was also, um, I was also drawing cartoons. I drew cartoons throughout high school, and I drew them for various school papers in college. And uh, uh, and and I also was doing theater. I did improv comedy for years um, uh, throughout college and and beyond. Um, and uh, so you know, I had this. But, you know, there was this, I, I mean, I was doing everything that I needed to be doing to train myself and to get better as a storyteller. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, but at the same time, in my head, I had created this little wall where my real work was something different from what my what I was really doing. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so uh, but, you know, I mean, but that's that's what's great about, you know, high school and college and all that is that, you know, like that's that's the time to do all those different Ab things you know absolutely so uh, did you get a lot of support were you, how supportive were your family and friends when you said yeah you know what this whole politics history thing it's not going to work out i th you know it was uh i got yeah i had great support i mean folks were i, I you know like i'm asian american my, and uh, and uh, the stereotype for asian americans is uh you know that you know you've got parents who are very dubious of your right. of artistic uh, endeavors as career choices um uh, but, uh, you know, it, uh, but I, I had, um, my parents were great. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually biracial. My dad's Korean, my mom's white, but, mm -hmm. but they were both very supportive. Uh, and I think part of it was because I'd had little landmark things happen, um, you know, throughout that sort of indicated that, oh, I'm not just, you know, yeah. going off to do something crazy, you know, in the sense, like I had, um, I mean, even as young as, you know, when I was in high school, I, I think there was like in my head, there was kind of a big turning point in um, when I was a junior. I uh, submitted a short story to the Scholastic Writing Competition um, and I got second place uh, in nice. the short story competition. Yeah, which was kind of like, you know, and, and I, you know, over the years I'd had, you know, all, you know, my 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 high school poetry and short stories and stuff published in uh you know in the in the high school uh literary magazine which was you know great but yeah. that's that's your high school literary magazine you know but but uh, but um but the scholastic thing was kind of like oh you know some people who don't know me yeah you know they believe uh, in me they think i'm yeah, good yeah exactly they think this is pretty good you know yeah. and um so you know and i got a 50 dollar savings bond Sweet. Which, I, which i still have somewhere <laughs> around here i catch I, I should frame that but uh, <laughs> uh but uh, um but yeah so that was you know that was um i, I you know so, and there had been other little things like that that had happened over the years which kind of you know i, I guess were indicators that uh that, that this might not be a fool's errand yeah. um also and then i got accepted to nyu uh nyu film school so mm -hmm. i went to nyu from oxford and um and, uh, you know, so that was a, uh, again, that, you know, that was like, oh, okay, this is a, yeah. you know, this is a legit endeavor. It's not, it's not a total blind leap of faith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it still is because any, any, you know, any job in, uh, in the arts is, you know, like you never know. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it, so, I mean, in 2017 with the, the, the constant daily political drama and the, the constant unease over artistic endeavors and where you, your safety net, is it there? Is it not? Is there any part of you that regrets any of those decisions? Oh no, not at all. Not at yeah. all. No, no, no. It's I mean, I um, 
I mean, I was very lucky in that uh, I was able to, uh, you know, eventually get hooked in with writing comics. You know, like um, I uh, uh, and I was able to. So I, I, I went through NYU. I, and after I graduated from NYU, I made a independent um, feature film called Robot Stories, the mm-hmm. sci-fi independent film. And that that was, you know, very tiny budget. We shot on video, transferred to film uh, and um you know, the scrappy little independent movie, but it played in, I think like 75 film festivals and won a ton of awards. Um, it, it kind of really did about as much as it could have done for mm-hmm. a tiny little film like that. It, uh, we do, we did a theatrical run and played around the country, got picked up by Kino for DVD, for a DVD release. Um, uh, and, uh, but, and, and I thought, okay, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to get, now I'm going to, you know, get my next feature going and right. it's going to be great. And that didn't happen, you know, just because it's very hard to, raise you know that that next big chunk that really it's hard to level up and raise uh, more money to do a project also because the project i was pushing was um my chinese gunslinger feature mm-hmm. film that, mm-hmm. that i was desperate to do and you know that that script actually won awards and um but uh but it was i just could not get financing for it um but um but around that time i uh i my I, my agent at the time said uh Hey, would you like to talk to Marvel about writing comics? And I was like, heck yeah. yeah. And, you know, so <laughs> I went into that meeting and, and uh, we hit it off and it worked out and I've been writing comics ever since. Um, and the, so that's been fantastic because I always, you know, like I said, I grew up drawing and uh, drawing cartoons and reading comics and I, uh, you know, but I had never thought of actually writing them for whatever reason, which is ridiculous, but yeah. I'd never thought of that as a possible career. And, um, but it all, but it made sense, you know? Sure, and, sure. It worked out. So, um, uh, but yeah, and, and, uh, but I, I, you know, I think that, I mean, you're asking about like 2017 and, and, uh, and if, you know, I I mean, like there are, there are definitely trends in the air that make, um, working as a creative professional or a creative freelancer kind of scary. Um, but at the same time, there are more opportunities now than ever before for, uh, you know, like even if you don't get, um, you know, like even, even if, uh, my work for higher comics stuff dried up tomorrow, um, for whatever crazy reason, uh, I like there's Kickstarter, there's, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, there, there's self-publishing. There's a lot of ways to, to, uh, to keep doing, keep doing this work. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and my goal has always been to do a, uh, you know, to, to, do great fun work for higher stuff and then also do create our own stuff, you know, and, and I'm, I'm also always trying to keep up with what are the best tools for building audience and, uh, and keeping in touch with audience and, um, and doing business as a freelancer, you know? So, so I've tried all the, you know, like I've done multiple Kickstarters, uh, even though, you know, at the same time I'm working for Marvel in DC and, and I, and, uh, like right now my big kick is, you know what? Um, I need to rebuild my email list, my email <laughs> newsletter. You know what I mean? Because like yeah, back yeah. in the back in the day, with our scrappy little mo- uh, movie robot stories, you know, we had no marketing budget, so it was all done by word of mouth and by email newsletters. You yeah, know, and that thing was school. yeah, exactly. And that thing was incredibly powerful. Um, and the, and those email newsletters are still powerful, but they're you know they. they I think a lot of us had email newsletters back in the day, and then we kind of let them sort of lie fallow as we tapped into stuff like Twitter and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. I'm very aware of the fact that 
I mean, recently there was this uh, scare with uh, Patreon, right? Um, and a lot yeah, of yeah. indie comics people and indie, not just comics people, but indie creators, a lot of podcasters have Patreon accounts. Um, and Patreon changed their fee structure, which uh, was going to make it basically uh, really reduce uh, backers' incentives to kick in just a dollar or two dollars because they would suddenly be hit with these massive fees for these very little amount you know low dollar uh donations um and uh a lot of people on patreon they're they're you know their patreons are built through hundreds of very low dollar contributors you know so this was gonna and people got dozens of cancellations you know what i mean so this was uh, and, and patreon to its credit Realize first course, yeah, yeah. Well, we screwed this up. We gotta rethink the way we're doing this. Apologies, etc. But it, but it is sobering because it makes you realize, okay, any one of these, uh, uh, these um, tools that we use could vanish tomorrow. Uh-huh. You know, um, and so, like, you know, tw- and you know, Twitter has had massive trouble with harassment and other issues, and uh, I, you know, and I, I, I feel like they've, they are headed for big trouble if they don't deal with those things properly and um you know and and so at some point like if twitter dies tomorrow twitter is where i have the most of my um social media followers Mm -hmm. and if if twitter went belly up tomorrow i would be bad for me you know what i mean because that's because you know every time i do a kickstarter twitter you know a, a lot of my contributors are driven to those kickstarters through uh through twitter um and you know and that's uh, one of the big ways i get word out about my books and all that kind of stuff but um but if I'm if I'm able to convert a, a significant percentage of those Twitter followers to email newsletter followers subscribers, then then I've got a way to contact folks no matter what. Yeah. You know, as long as them. exactly as long as email endures, yeah, then uh, then I'll have a place to reach people. And also, email when, when people go through that extra step of signing actually signing up for an email newsletter, that means that they are really committed. You know what I mean? Like like people will follow you on Twitter on a whim. Mm-hmm. But people who actually, you know, self-select to get your your newsletter in their email box, or I mean, that's a that's that's yeah, that's it's like, an extra step that kind of implies that they're the people who are also going to be buying what you have to yes, offer. Exactly, they're more likely. I exactly, think. and I, you know, I love folks who follow me wherever. You know what I mean? Because, and I'm not going to give up on any of these tools, but um, but I'm yeah, but I uh, I definitely have kind of seen once again the need to cultivate the yeah. this email newsletter yeah. um you know I, it was funny because i i i wrote about that um and then uh and put it on my blog i'm also blogging again <laughs> uh, i mean my website is, is built on wordpress so my website is essentially a blog but yes. I'm, I'm actually you know I'm, I'm actually trying to use that again um and and then uh on the same day literally uh warren ellis in his newsletter was talking about the fact that email newsletters are are the new email newsletters, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think that, you know, there, there's a vibe and I think that's good. And I'm yeah. hoping we'll it's, jump on board. You know, it's, what is it? It's best to not throw all of your eggs in one basket, especially exactly. when you don't, you don't control the basket. You know what yes. I mean? It could, it could slip out from under you at any moment, which is yep. scary. So I imagine that, um, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, especially when one device or one tool like Twitter becomes so powerful. And like you were saying, a lot of people, most of their followers are there and most of their interaction with people is there. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's a little frightening because you don't control that. And when yeah. it, if it were to just say, 
change tomorrow, then what do you do? You know, how yeah, do you it, get back well, in touch with everybody? And that's exactly what's happened with Facebook. You know what yeah. I mean? Like face, Facebook started off with a purely chronological timeline. Um, if you followed somebody, you were going to get there. You yep. were going to see whatever they posted. Um, and now there's an algorithm. And, uh, you know, there was a thing up the other day about some woman who was like, I have this friend who I mostly know through digital stuff. You know, I follow on Facebook. Turns out my friend died last year and I never saw his yeah. posts about it because the algorithm decided that his posts weren't cool enough to be seen yeah. by me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's horrible on yeah. just a personal human level. Um, uh, on a business level, it's it's bad because, you know, like people who have said, yes, I would like to hear what you have to say on the Facebook. Yeah. They, they will they they won't see you unless you pay unless for you pay it. for it. You got to pay to be seen now. And then and then I, and I've tried multiple times. And this is partly on me because I have not like really uh, mastered the art of constructing an effective Facebook ad. But um, but I've tried, you know, I've done those ads on Facebook multiple times and and, you know, and, and half the time, literally half the time, I get some weird, like your ad has been disapproved yeah. and then I have to appeal it. And then, and then it's approved because it was disapproved for stupid reasons that don't make any sense. And then, you know, cause they've got like a bot yeah. you know, disapproving things. And then by then my window has narrowed, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to get this message out in a very timely way in order for folks to see it before final orders are due on a comic book, for example. Um, and then, and then I've lost five days out of that window and the, the ads kind of yeah. pointless, you know, and then you're but anyway, less inclined to do it again in the future because yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but that same system could easily be applied to Twitter overnight. Sure. You know, sure. Um, anyway, anyway, <laughs> Let, let's talk Met cadet you. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> what is it about giant robots that, that we nerds just love so much? Oh my gosh. You know, I thought about this a lot because I grew up, uh, you know, I, I just loved robot. I, you know, I, I'm, I was born in 68, so I was what, uh, that means I was what, uh, eight years old when the first, eight, nine years old when the first Star Wars movie came out, yeah. which is sort of perfect, right? So sure. it's like, I got droids, you know what I mean? And and I grew up playing with Micronauts and, and uh, you know, Shogun Warriors and all of these, uh, I mean, so robots were always just kind of in my head and really cool. And and so why, why robots? I, I think part of it, particularly with giant robots, it's the same sort of... Um, thing of why i love those those disney shows you remember wonderful world of disney back oh, in the day oh and, yeah sure and, and they would have these like you know live action you know episodes where like a kid would like befriend a deer or a bear yes. or something in the woods right you know and and, and then you know in, in the end there's always that kind of thing where the kid's like go back to nature and he's throwing <laughs> a rock at the deer because the, you know whatever there's a hunter coming or something <laughs> a big tragic moment um I, I was a total sucker for those but i think i think I think with that um, and with giant robots and also things like where the wild things are mm -hmm. um, and in like Ursula K. Le Guin things where people bond with dragons, you know, mm -hmm. I think these are all about kids who are small, physically small and and not powerful in the world. Um, find it very compelling to have this fantasy of having a really strong or even invulnerable friend. You know what I mean? Who's yeah. like your buddy, you know, Um and I think that's I, th I think that's a huge part of it. It's like to have you know something huge and powerful that is dedicated as dedicated to you as a puppy is um, is a huge hugely powerful fantasy. And I think yeah. that's you know I think I think it boils I think that's a big part of it. It's also that kind of a thing of like 
you know, like even as a kid, you know, it's a very special thing when you're a little kid and like a dog, you know, the first time you kind of like sure. put out your hand and a dog sniffs it and then yeah. a dog decides that you're cool and you get to pet the dog. You know what I mean? Like that's a, or you go to, you know, like, like that's, um, that's, that's a, it's a big deal for a little kid, you know, like that kind of moment, uh, yeah. that moment of acceptance and, uh, making friends basically, you know what I mean? But, um, uh, but, but I think, so I think that's a huge part of it. So where, do, I mean, this is a total geeky question, but like, so where does your allegiance lie? Like when it comes to like Voltron, Robotech, Transformers, Gundam, <laughs> Iron Giant, uh, Ultraman, you know, what, what's your, I mean, aside from Mecha at you, what's yeah. your giant robot story? Oh man. Um, well, you know, I, I think it's, it's actually, I'm actually a little old for a lot of the yeah. anime animated shows that folks kind of assume mostly inspired this show. You know, I mean, I mean this book, um, I mean, you know, like talk, I think is he's, he, my art, the artist on this book, yeah. my big, you know, collaborator, he, um, the co-creator, he, I, I think he grew up with all those shows. And so that's like just in his blood. Um, I, I, I was a little young, I mean, a little older, you know, for those shows. So, but I, um, but I loved the, uh, the toy, the Shogun warrior toys and the Micronaut toys, which had, um, uh, you know, like th there was a big Micronauts figure called Biotron and Biotron had this, um, like the Micronauts themselves were what I think three and three quarters inches tall, mm -hmm. but Biotron was like over a foot tall or maybe a foot tall. And Biotron had like a chest plate, a clear chest plate. And you could put like a, a, a small dude inside his chest, like as a kind of a pilot, you know what I mean? And yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? But I think that really stuck with me. And then I, and, and in a similar way, there was, uh, I think great Mazinga with the, the big, um, one of the big Shogun warriors, he had this like kind of, thing this little ship shaped thing that kind of stuck in his head and i remember at a certain point like pointing out and realizing that's a spaceship <laughs> that means that they're like little dudes inside of that spaceship. Yeah. you know like they're little people inside of this giant robot that's really cool you know <laughs> um there was another i when i when i was a kid we had family in hawaii and so we would visit hawaii and i would go to um this japanese department store in hawaii and they would often have like toys directly from Japan there. And I remember I bought some, it, it wasn't an actual Shogun warrior. It was another, and I can't remember what it was called now, but it had this, uh, it was like die cast metal. It was awesome. You know, it had all these, you know, yeah. little things that shot off of it and you could shoot his fists off and like it had a head thing that shot out. But it. it also had this thing where you, you know, like it had a, 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 a this kind of chest thing that would shoot out and, um, and inside that chest thing, there were these little, again, little kind of spaceship things with little kind of, you could kind of make out tiny little dudes in those spaceships and press the chest and then these spaceships would launch out of his chest. Right. You know, mm -hmm. um, but all of that, you know, like that, that whole idea of, I, I think it came from the toys, you know what I mean? I think that's this, this notion of, um, of, of, you know, people inside of giant robots. So, I mean, the, the. The story, your book, though, Mecha Det You, it, I mean, it's about giant robots, obviously, that's what we're talking about, but I feel like you're really, the story is really about those tiny dudes inside the giant oh, robots. Oh, yeah, totally. The and kids. one of the things that really grabbed me um, was the relationship between Stanford and his mom. Oh, yeah. And so the story, ostensibly, you didn't really explain. So um, we're, we're in some far-flung future, right? It's not just like an alternative present. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I wouldn't say it's a far flung future. I would I would say it's uh, it, it's kind of like an alternate. I mean, it's an alternate near future. I'll put okay. it that way, you know, so we're in an alternate near future. We've got giant robots, space travel, alien warfare. 
but their story, you know, Stanford and his mom, it's still very human. It's still very relevant, still very present. You know, that oh, yeah. the way that they're introduced, they're still victims of discrimination. You know, their yep. social status still determines how they're accepted by everybody around them. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to say about the direction of society there that we can, <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's like the the school around them. It's very diverse. There's people of all backgrounds um, that are ostensibly equal because they're all cadets. Yeah. Um, but yet he and his mom are treated as lower class citizens. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah because you know Stanford. They're uh, Stanford's mom is the jan. They're janitors. At right. The school, you know, and 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 also she's an immigrant. You know what I mean? So he's a, he's the immigrant's kid. Um, most of the other folks at the school, you get the impression are are uh, second or third or mm-hmm. fourth generation or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, and, and so there's this whole, like, class class divide going yeah. on with our, where our kid's the working-class underdog, you know, um, who ends up becoming a cadet almost by accident when he bonds with a giant robot who was, who, who uh, fell short of the meeting point where he was supposed to... I mean, it's a world in which kids bond with giant robots. Yeah. Um, and so the military has built up this uh, military school at the point where the mysterious giant robots arrive every four years so that trained cadets can bond with these robots then they can be incorporated into the military um but yeah and so so our our hero is the janitor's kid who accidentally bonds with a giant robot and then becomes a mech cadet um and that yeah i mean that that, that's that was important to me i think well first off just because stories about underdogs are always Mm -hmm. my kind of stories you know Mm -hmm. um and also because i you know i i think that sometimes in fiction there's kind of like an allegory for race or class divisions or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, um, but, and, and, uh, and I think that's great. That's fine. But I, I, I think it's to actually have real racial and class, um, conflicts within a story, even if they're subtle, even if they're in this kind of fantasy environment remains important. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just because you have, you know, yeah, like uh, I like, for example, I've got I've got stories I want to do eventually about like, you know, basically like a robot civil rights movement. You know what I mean? Where yeah. robots become sentient and and, you know, there's there's going to be a robot civil rights movement in our lifetimes. I would I would guess within maybe not within our lifetimes, but in soon in, enough. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and it's going to be valid because it's yeah, a thing yeah. to think and feel. It's going to, you know, and and express its identity. It's going to, you know, like, of course, you know, like these these issues are going to come up. Um, but just because that's happening doesn't mean that now suddenly uh, all racial divisions between uh, humans are going to disappear. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like that stuff endures. And I think that stuff is fascinating. You know, um, it's kind of like I, I mean, it, it's a little bit like when I was doing Planet Hulk, I um you know the the uh, which was the story of the Hulk exiled to an alien planet where he becomes a gladiator and eventually mm-hmm. leads this rebellion. You know there's a there, there's multiple species on this planet and the the dominant um, the dominant group are the Imperials who are these red skinned folks and the 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 emperor of this planet is is an Imperial. But I, it was important to me to show distinctions within the the Imperials. You know what I mean? Like and it wasn't just like this kind of monolithic evil empire that they were that there were folks who were resisting him and there were folks at different class levels within that group. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like sure. I think that kind of thing is always, you know, that's, that's, that's just life. So why not reflect it? Yeah. I mean, 
again, though, going back to Stanford and his mom, I think it was really interesting that you made what I'm assuming was an intentional choice. So she speaks to him in Chinese and he always responds in English. And that is such a typical dynamic for first generation kids. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, I saw it with my dad and his mom. I see it with my own kids and my wife, who's an immigrant. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's something that a lot of people, unless they have direct experience with that, they might not, they might not have even noticed, but I caught <laughs> it and it was like, that's, that's such a first generation kid thing to do. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating that in this future, you know, where the planet has come together to fight an alien menace, that's still happening. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, you know, exactly. But that, in a way that's also, those kinds of details to me are, are so critical in, fantastical work yeah. you know what i mean like if you're going to tell a fantastical story um you know if you have generic people who don't have you know who, who are just like you know fill in you know hero a hero b or whatever then the thing just doesn't resonate you know what i mean but if you if you to, to have details like that make it uh, make those characters understandable and make them feel real and make the world feel real you know sure. like the world you can change everything and the, and there are certain things that are always going to be you know there's certain th things just about how people relate to each other and and even you know like like just patterns of human interaction and you know yeah. uh, that uh that I that are I think are just smart to to you know let that live and breathe yeah you mentioned uh tech Miyazawa and you guys have worked together a lot on a number yeah. of books what is it about that collaboration that just that just works for you like what's your what's your special sauce like what's the ingredient yeah there? you know it's it's just that it's just that thing it's just there you know I mean I think part of it is that uh we you know I we just love each other's style of storytelling yeah. I think um you know I'm, I'm speaking for talk here but uh <laughs> But he loves me. No, that's all <laughs> no, but 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 there's you know like I, basically everything he draws I love. Like everything, you know, just the way he depicts, in particular the way he draws people and the way he draws body language, and the way he, you know, he he can do very big and fun and goofy humor, but he's a master at little small um, subtle body language things to convey. Uh, uh, humor and drama, you know, mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he's a master of emotion. He's a brilliant actor with the pencil. Um, and, and I love it. And he draws like every face that he draws is different. You know, like he draws, you know, he's drawing these four kids at this school and they each have this totally distinct look. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's tremendous. And they all, and you know, like, um, talk did the, uh, he was my co-creator of Amadeus Cho back in the day. Right. Um, and I think that just laid a great groundwork for us. We just, you know, like I remember the first time I got back to first character designs, uh, for Amadeus Cho it was just this one character sketch. And it was like, that's it. He just nailed it, you know? And even in just like a character design, he's investing so much subtle attitude and character, you know, like he, he just gets it, you yeah. know, he's just really smart and really emotionally smart too, you know? So he he just he understands all these nuances and yeah. uh, and totally delivers it. It, it 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 you know like it's the kind of thing that just represents so much work and skill and years of practice, but it just feels effortless on the page, and I just you know I adore it. So, yeah. um, it, it, it's funny you mentioned Amadeus Joe, and I just want to talk about that for a couple of minutes. Like you know so superheroes and comic books have been around for what not going on ninety years, and it, it kind of feels like sometimes we've run out of stories to tell. But then someone like Amadeus Cho comes along and like you, you shook up a character that's been around for decades and, you know, you say like, listen, like 
superheroes are kind of a thing that we feel like maybe sometimes have been played out, but there's still so much more to tell. Do you ever feel that way, though? Do you ever sit down and be like, oh, like, what else can we say, like, after 90 years? Oh, no. I mean, there's always, you know, like, because... You know, the, I mean, the reason these characters, the, the characters that have been around forever, the reason they've been around forever is because they have they are flexible. You know, yeah. they've got this really great core, um, but different writers can come in and tell totally different kinds of stories with them for different audiences uh, over over decades. Yeah. And um, and that's the strength. You know, I, I think that the the point at which, you know, you kind of walk away is when you can't tell anything new. You know what I mean? And that that, that and I don't mean can't. In the sense that you can't uh, you can't think up anything new. Mm-hmm. Although if you can't think up anything new, then yeah, you should walk away. <laughs> but uh, but I, you know, like I don't believe that you can never think up anything new. I think that these characters are are they work because they're because they lend themselves to totally new stuff. But you know, the, the the point at which you know it's time to move is when you know like for whatever reason you're not allowed to. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, and also you know like not every story is right for every time. You know I've been lucky to work on certain books that hit the right uh, hit the sweet spot for me and for my collaborators and for the audience all at the same time. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, like planet Hulk is the classic example of that. Amadeus is a, is a pretty good example of that. Um, and Mecca Cadet you, uh, also feels like we're, you know, we've, we've really hit a sweet spot. Um, but I've also worked on tons of books that are just as good. You know, I, <laughs> you sure. know, I, I feel in my heart that they, you know, they're really, <laughs> I've worked on great books that didn't, go over the same way yeah. and sometimes that's a marketing issue and sometimes that's you know like like you know uh you know was i able to push this as much or and but also sometimes it's just like you know the zeitgeist is not necessarily there for every story in the same way you know how, how important is that to you though as a storyteller you know i mean like you you put your heart into everything i'm sure in, in, in equal amounts and you know you tell the best story you can with the best characters that you can create how how important is that fan reaction? Not not necessarily sales, but just like how it's received among the people that you're writing it for. Oh yeah, well you know you want everything to do really well. Of course, yeah. you want everything to be that thing that goes crazy. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, but uh, but not everything is going to. And if you're in it for the long haul, then you just keep going. You know what I mean? I, I think I was I, I'm I'm helped a little bit because you know from having done improv comedy for years and years and years, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, an improv comedy, you get out there, you put your heart and soul into every single moment, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and then it's gone, you know what I mean? Like it's a one-time thing and then that's it. It's gone. And sometimes you have these insanely great shows and there are 12 people in the audience, <laughs> but it was, it, it may be literally the best thing you've ever done. And 12 people saw it. And you just have to love it and and keep going. You it's know what I mean? Amazing like, for those twelve people, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But that's part of it too. You yeah. know, like I mean, I've done books, and and this is also a reason why I never uh, badmouth anything I've done. You know, like I, I, you know, like I have my own mental rating for all the books I've worked on, and you know, there's some that I generously give a C plus to, and <laughs> you know, and, and this is not through anyone's fault. You know, sure. what I mean, like, we all bust our our humps to make everything as good as it can possibly be, but sometimes. For whatever reason, you know, like uh, things don't don't come out as, uh, you know, things don't things are not as great as they should be, you know. Um, But uh, but I never you know, I never I never get out there in public and badmouth anything I've worked on, partly out of respect to my collaborators, Mm -hmm. because I know everybody's working really hard, even if we're not even if the final product isn't what, you know, the the, as great as we would have hoped. Everybody worked like hell to to make it as good as it could be. Um, And and also because. 
you know, whatever, whatever that book is at, at some con someday, somebody is going to come up to me and say, Oh my God, I love this so much. Yeah. Um, and that's happened to me many times with books that I was even embarrassed about. You know what I mean? Like when they came out, yeah. like I, I just, I, I just, I didn't feel good about them. Um, but then somebody came up and, you know, and multiple people come up to me at cons and they've got that look in their eyes and they just loved it. And yeah. who am I to tell exactly. that that wasn't good? You know what I mean? I think about it myself. It's like there's stuff that I just adored when I was a kid that meant so much to me. It hit me at just the right moment. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, I can go back to it now and I can look at that stuff and I can see all the flaws. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. Um, Most of the stuff from when we were kids is like that. Yeah. But it's got, but but I can also look at that stuff and I can see exactly why I loved it and why it was so important to me at the time. And and I love those creators for having done it. You know yeah, what I mean? Like absolutely. sometimes it's like the like the the works are just so full of energy and and fun and they 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 just do crazy things that I'd never imagined before. You know what I mean? And 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 sure, on some formal level, they may not have been as you know slick or whatever, but they just had the right emotion and vibe and joy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna. I'm always going to, you know, like I, I I don't believe in perfection. You know what I mean? Like every once in a while people say, oh, this was a perfect movie or this is a perfect song or this is a, you know, yeah. this is, that's, that's, there's no such thing as perfection. Yeah. Um, you know, in a sort of, you know, platonic ideal. Sure. Notion. Like for an individual person at an individual time, there are perfect moments that you can get from books and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, but you it's know, not perfect for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And that's fine. You know what I mean? At the same time, as a creator, I'm always striving to make something as good as it can be. And I, I think it's fine and good for me to know when I haven't hit that mark. Yeah. For myself, you know? Yeah. And, and keep striving with the next project to make it even better. Yeah. Talk to me about the um, Asian American creator roll call hashtag. Oh, yeah. So this, <laughs> this is very fresh. It was just a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, throughout the years, I've always been very aware of, um, you know, the, the, I, I you know, I, I've, I've, I've done a lot of stories with Asian and Asian American characters. That's always just been important to me. Um, mm -hmm. partly because I grew up at a time when most of, I mean, most of the stuff that I saw with Asian or Asian American characters in American pop culture was racist. I'm just going to say it. You right. know what I mean? No, I agree. Racist and stereotypical and embarrassing. And, uh, and so, um, I always wanted to tell stories that were more interesting and had more three-dimensional characters, and and uh, and, and um, so that that's always been you know a goal of mine. Um, as a creator, I've also been aware that it's um, that not everybody's going to get that, and and that it actually that it's very hard, particularly when it comes to that business level, um, to get people and investors and and distributors and production companies and whatnot to say. Yeah, we're gonna put money into this. I mean, mm -hmm. folks may recognize this is awesome, but they may not be well. They may not think there's an audience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which is, you know, uh, I, I, and I think that's changing definitely. Uh, you know, like we live in a time with fresh off the boat on the air, and you know, there was a point like just you know, what a year and a half ago where there was like four or five different TV shows with Asian American leads, which I, you know, I yeah. could never even dreamed of when I was a kid growing up, you know? So there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples of cool stuff. I mean, you know, I, I've been able to write Amadeus Cho as the, as the Hulk for right. two and a half years now. I mean, that's amazing. Um, but, uh, but it's still, uh, you know, Asian American creators still have a tough row to hoe, um, in every field. And so I, uh, I, you know, and so over the years I've, I, I've, like I ran a site called AsianAmericanFilm.com. I did a site called AsianAmericanComics.com for a while, and mm -hmm. you know, just trying to get the word out. 
you know, because yeah. I'm all about I'm all about just grassroots getting the word out. Um, and so just over the last couple of days, I saw I, I think I saw. Yeah, I saw Daniel Day Kim retweet a thing from uh, 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 from uh, the uh, the director of uh, the movie Gook that just came out recently, okay. Justin. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and Justin had put up uh, a, a tweet saying something like, you know, that he's he's always going to tell Asian American stories. He's never going to stop. You know, and I was like, that is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and and um, and uh, and Daniel Day uh, Kim had, uh, you know, retweeted that and said inspired brother, you know. And then also, you know, recently a list came out of 100 like influential Asian Americans and um, Jan over at Reappropriate, which is an amazing website. Um, she had said she had posted a thing. Actually, I'm going to read it to you right now. She said if you should. I mean, she said she's like really thrilled for those 100 folks on that list. But then she also said, if you share this list, also take a minute to remember the unsung Asian Americans who are also doing the work, but whose names no one really knows. They're equally as important and influential, and today I want to give my love to them, too. And I just thought about, like, you know, how, there are just hundreds of Asian-American creators out there who I know and who are just doing tremendous stuff. And let's just let's let's all just maybe <laughs> yeah. talk about that. You know what I mean? And so I, you know, I just thought for a little bit, like, what would be a good hashtag if I were to do a hashtag in this, this uh, you know, as am creator roll call for Asian American creator roll call that just kind of came up and I was like, bam, let's just tweet this. And, and, uh, and folks have, I mean, it's been nuts. Folks have just ran, run with it. I mean, the thing, this tweet has now been viewed. I'm looking at the stats right now, 162,000 times. That's amazing. And, uh, it's been, you know, it's, uh, there, there's like, um, uh, just a, a hundred, you know, a, a few hundred people have used the hashtag and posted their stuff. And then hundreds of other people are retweeting those posts, you know what I mean? Like, and then it just makes, and, and I, I just like, I'm, I'm scrolling through this, you know, the, the list, the hashtag, and there's just so much cool stuff going on. So many people doing really interesting, fun, exciting work. And, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just thrilled about it, you know? So yeah. I, I do have to say on behalf of my kids who are, also biracial they're half chinese thank yeah. you for putting those stories out there and thank you for shining a spotlight on them because i can there can never be too many stories and there can never be too much representation so i i totally agree no thank you i appreciate it thank you so much yeah yeah no it means I a mean, lot to them you know just going to see star wars and and seeing an asian woman on screen you know holding her own against you know in the biggest franchise in the world that meant yeah. a lot to my daughter and you know seeing stories with other Asian and Asian American characters in them, it it, it means a lot. So That's, I really do appreciate everything that you and every and, and other creators that were that are using this hashtag um, to to shine that spotlight on other people who are doing amazing things. It's it's amazing. So I I, I hugely appreciate it. Yeah, I mean you know I'm always trying to you know to 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 spread the word about you know projects of you know from from you know any project that's going to show something different you yeah. know what i mean yeah, like absolutely and, and i think that's good for everybody you know absolutely like it, just, it just makes us all more you know it, it's a it's a it humanizes people i mean that yeah. it's, it's it's such a basic impulse and yet you know and it seems so <laughs> like it's 2017 and we still have to do this but yeah we do we yeah, do we i still, know you know so what are you most looking forward to in 2018 oh i am uh i i'm looking forward to well i've got a lot of 
I mean, just on a personal level, I got a lot of projects coming out um, and a lot of fun stuff I'm, I'm, I'm doing. I can't reveal it all just yet, but mm-hmm. I'm, I can say I'm doing a, I'm doing a new uh, book for Marvel called Weapon H, which is like one of the biggest, goofiest uh, premises ever. And basically, there's a soldier who has been uh, experimented on and he now is a Hulk Wolverine hybrid. Nice. So he, he can Hulk out and have big giant claws <laughs> like half Hulk and half Wolverine, um, and, you know, which is just like a huge, ridiculous, like yeah. comic comic book idea that I would have loved when I was 10. But it's got we were working on a great, you know, emotional story as well. So and Corey Smith is drawing. So that's my big uh, my big goofy Marvel project coming up. I'm uh, working on Duo, uh, which is uh, a, a part of the new Milestone uh, line at DC Comics. And it's about a Korean American couple, um, a, uh, a, a scientists who, uh, through a terrible accident, end up uh, you end up with the uh, the husband um, uh, a, with his wife's consciousness in his brain. Oh, yeah. uh, so they so he uh, it's it's like um, you know like like she's uh, they're you know two minds trapped in one body. Right. Um, and uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. I'm doing. Um, uh, I'm continuing the John Wick book that's coming out from Dynamite, mm-hmm. and then I've got some, uh, you know, super secret fun secrets. stuff. Right. I mean, the, the you know the huge the you know the the huge fun thing, of course, is also Mech Cadet U, which um, was originally just going to be a four issue mini, uh, yeah. but it got you know folks like you talked it up and uh, and it uh, and and it got extended to a uh, ongoing. That's so we're, yeah, it's so much you, fun. Uh, it really is. It's such a fun book. I'm really looking forward to seeing where where you're going to take the story and the characters. Thank you so much. Well, it's, it's getting bigger and crazier and talking the whole team. Triona Farrell does the colors and Simon Bowen is the letterer. They're just huge pleasure to work with. Everybody's, you know, on board making it happen. And, uh, and yeah, we're doing some pretty crazy stuff coming up. So. That's awesome. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's just been a pleasure talking, talking to you today. Likewise. Thank you so much. All right, people, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I just wanted to ask you, we, we were doing the question of the week to you. We don't talk <laughs> enough to you. We talk to each other. And, but, but I mean, I want to start talking to you a little more. So you listening, we were talking about the internet before. And when it first came in, I would love to know a, your story with the, when you first got the internet, maybe you were a millennial and you kind of grew up a little bit like on my end of the millennial scale, you grew up without it and then you had it. Or maybe you just had it your whole life. I would love to hear your first experience or if it just always was. I always think about that with our kids, Jamie. I'm like, mm-hmm. for them, the internet just is. It, 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 it yeah. was never, you know what I mean? It there was, was never a time the when they couldn't just <laughs> Google something. Or or you yeah. know, what, what amazes me is it, it's a, the cameras, you know, like immediately, like they want to see the picture immediately. And I was like, you don't understand. It's when I had done my old crotchety app. <laughs> when I was a kid, we took pictures yeah. and we didn't see them for weeks, whether they were good or not. Right. But well, I always said that to my dad, like he used to be a photographer and I'd be like, how did you take this picture? Yeah. And just like be like, OK, I, I got the shot. Yeah. Like how like a wedding photographer. How did they know? Yeah. Like what a roll of the dice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you have any questions about Greg Pack or if you have a comment, we would love for you to get in touch with us on Twitter at the GBB podcast or on our Facebook or send us an email. Call us. Uh, Jim, what's our phone number? 301-825-5653. We haven't been saying that enough lately. Nobody calls no. us. No, I mean, I don't expect anybody you. to actually call us. But please, somebody right. call us. Right. Well, we want to start hearing from you a little more. We want this to be more interactive than it is. So I'm excited for that. Yes. 
<laughs> conversation. 100% agree. Let's hear from you guys. <laughs> so also, if you're not subscribed and you're watching this on YouTube, if you're still out here at this point, uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button or on our podcast, hit subscribe on our website, the gbbpodcast.com. There's a handy dandy subscribe features built right into the site. You can scroll down and click them and boom, you're all set. And a huge thanks and congratulations to Justin for that. Because Justin built that little website and uh, we're quite proud of it. It's simple. It's basic. It gets the job done, but it's, it's, I think it looks really good. It's attractive. Exactly. If it'll, hopefully it'll sell us and maybe Patrick Stewart will finally say yes. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back every week. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB podcast. Also the GBB podcast.com. I'm Justin and I'm at 140 Justin C. And I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. And we'll see you next time right here in one week from today. Take care. (laughs) See ya. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.